everybody. I'm Rebecca Hoogs. I'm the Program Director for Seattle Arts and Lectures, and it is an honor to present the Lunchbox Podcast Live, Literary Pleasures and Musical Shenanigans. Today's show will feature the hosts of the Lunchbox Podcast, Ed Skoog, who is the author of two very fine books of poetry, including The Recent Rough Day, and J. Robert Lennon, the author of one short story collection and seven novels. Their guests today are Portland Phenom and author of two books of poetry, Matthew Dickman, Seattle poet, writer for The Stranger, and all-around very funny person, Sarah Galvin, a musical guest, Abilene Slim. We have a lot to hear and say and feel, so without further ado, I ask you to join me in welcoming Ed and John of the Lunchbox Podcast. Thanks, everybody. Slim's going to take his place, and then we're going to play a little introduction song. You ready, Slim? Are you hungry for lunch? Well, then let's have lunch. Do you want some lunch? Then you give us some lunch. Do you have a John. Good to see you too. Thank you to Abilene Slim for the beautiful transition music. You notice that uh, Abilene Slim doesn't have a microphone because uh, he speaks with his hands. He does. Yeah. Try to uh, and his thumbs. He speaks. Which, he speaks in in one thumb more on than I've hands. said in my mouth in 15 years. Right. Well, it's nice to have uh, some people present for uh, this thing that we've been doing for about a year. This this uh, weekly talk that, that John and I engage in, mostly over Skype, sometimes in person. We live in different places. I live in uh, Missoula and here, and John lives over in Ithaca, New York, which is some distance away. I'm deeply disturbed not to be um, mediated by technology when talking to you. It's a little disturbing yeah. to have the actual physical John Lennon um, here. Which is actually my official name as a writer. That's going to be, my next novel will say the actual physical John Lennon. Yeah. That helps distinguish it from the, from the other one. Yeah. <laughs> um, we are uh, going to have a couple of, of friends come and talk with us uh, in, in a little while. Um, thought we'd first catch up. Oh, yeah. Uh, John flew in a couple days ago. I drove in. I did. And uh, taking time out of our uh, busy writing schedules, which is sort of the idea of, of, of Lunchbox, is a little break um, in the middle of uh, our more serious enterprises that no one pays much attention to. Yeah. Opposed to this, which is... We've got a full house. Yes, we do. Well, there's... We're recording this. It's so, right throughout the house. Yeah. 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 So, uh, yeah, Most I, of the house has people in it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm comfortable with that. Yeah, I feel... No, I feel good with this. I feel like if something goes wrong in one part of the room, there's somebody there 
to take charge. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. 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 Like it would, uh, ceiling tiles start falling, uh, that, that will be reported. Yeah. Um, Does anyone know fashion. how to use a mixing board? <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah. So I'm staying at the uh, staying at the Edgewater here in Seattle, Lovely. a famous Edgewater yeah. hotel. And um, have I ever told you about my my eyeglasses ritual? No, these look like newish eyeglasses, though. They have they have a, like a nail file on the side of them. Uh, yeah, that's that's actually a because <coughs> that, that's a handy yeah. handy thing. You can draw it out and trip, trim my nails. Now yeah. the the ritual is uh, because I have a very greasy face. Uh, I'd have to I have to wash my face often, and then I I also wash the glasses with soap and water, and then I have a microfiber cloth that I use to clean them off. But first, I'll rinse them in very hot water. And this is every day, a couple times a day. A couple times a day, yeah. So when I take a shower, part seems, seems burdensome. Oh no, no, it's well only insofar as anyone's grooming rituals are burdensome. So I so I checked into the hotel, and uh, you know was was fouled by travel, and uh, decided to take a shower and clean my glasses. So. What I do is I, I take the shower and then while, before getting dressed in the steamy bathroom, I, I wash the glasses and then put on very hot water to rinse them. And what happened was um, the, I turned the glasses, because I wasn't wearing them and I couldn't see, I turned the glasses and the very hot hotel water sluiced off them and, and scalded my genitals. So, oh, I see. Yeah. Why were your genitals in the sink? They were, they were near, I, I, I stopped paying attention for a second. Yeah. I, I no. came back around to genitals. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But then I realized there's a grand tradition of, of genital-related in incidents at the Edgewater that I was just participating in. There, there have yeah. been a number of them, yeah. yeah. Uh, Whoopi Goldberg. Oh, <laughs> really? Yeah, famously. What happened to her genitals there? That's where she lost. Really? <laughs> have they been found? Yeah, she found them. Oh, well, right. Were, yeah. And how was your entry into Seattle? Um, it was delightful. I've got a, you know, a 16-month-old, yes. uh, Oscar, and... Uh, he was kind enough to sleep most of the way until we got to until we got to Mercer Island and traffic, and he started crying. That's a, you. You were coming from Missoula, right? That's a long way to drive without the baby waking up. Yeah, well, um, he's, cool. a, he's, a generous, he's a generous, kind baby. No, he, we, we just left early. Woke up at four in the morning, and we yeah. we uh, we thought we were going to get an early start at seven because we had to, we were bringing someone else along with us, and uh, uh, turns out we were up at four, so we could have uh, gotten into town by lunch. Yeah, but. Uh, our, our early start was, was too late, so. But we got here, I make the drive all the time. Missoula is the easternmost suburb of uh, both Seattle and Portland. <laughs> That's so. like, this is the people who call Philadelphia, the New Yorkers who call Philadelphia the sixth borough. Yeah. But you would actually live in Missoula and you called this suburb of Seattle. That's not right. Well, I, it's, it's a, a nice little town. <laughs> it's quaint. I, I like its uh, literary culture. Yeah. A lot of writers in Missoula. That's right. Uh, a lot of writers here as well. We will be, we should say, for those of you who are inclined to drive eight hours to Montana to listen to people record a podcast, we're going to do, we're going to do this live again at the Missoula Festival of the Book. Uh, the second weekend in uh, October? We'll see if they, after this, if we're still invited. Yeah. Uh, they can always rescind these things. Uh, so I, I was here in, in Seattle in my apartment. I was down in the basement. Uh, early this morning, because again the the baby didn't wake up, um, and I was awake. And I, if I went back to bed, I know the baby would wake up again. So I went down in the basement and uh, was going through my files, thinking uh, that seems like an innocent activity that's not going to wake anybody. Um, and that I thought I might have some old letters from John. Uh, John and I went to graduate school at the University of Montana in the early 90s, uh, when people still wrote letters. And 
Uh, we wrote a lot of them because we were trying to trying to figure out how to write, keep writing after school, right? Trying to plumb writing up novels, our future, writing poems, future biographies. And so a letter is a nice way to avoid actually writing. Yeah. Um, and I was looking at them, and, and it occurred to me that, that not only do I mean, people do write letters now, but they don't write the kinds of letters that they wrote before email, right? Yeah. I mean, even if you engage in letter writing, there's something uh, there's something in the tone that's been lost, and some of it is this sort of a uh, an unguardedness and a vulnerability that that I don't think we we, we no longer can communicate with. Well, when you send writing. an email, you have to assume that everyone on earth is going to see it immediately. Yeah, that's what that's what I assume anyway. Right, and letters, not so much. Yeah, right. Um, and uh, the, the the more the most vulnerable. Uh, things are probably too personal to read, so I'll, I'll, I'll read those to you later. Um, <laughs> to all these people, you mean? After you leave. Oh, right. I'm going to read it to, to them. Uh, and I'm going to make some drawings. Uh, but I was, it was interesting seeing in, in your, your process, you're already writing your third or fourth novel at this point. And this is the 12th of October, uh, 1999. You re refer to me as Edison, which is not my name, but I assume that it's... It's a little cleverer joke to me. I made. Uh, third paragraph. I'm about, so John's uh, third published novel was called On the Night Plane. On the Night Plane, yeah. Uh, which was called Eleven for a long time. Yeah. Um, so I'm about halfway through the rewrite of Eleven. Some parts are uh, easy as cross out pie, and some are hard as souffle, and then you, you hand wrote the, the little uh, line above the E. Uh, to cook, I mean, not get hit in the head with. It's so terribly obvious which parts were written in a fever of a creative excitement and which were laboriously picked over. I worry that I will not be able to erase the difference. But all in all, I am really pleased. It is doing what I want it to, more or less, to do, I suppose. I, meant. I am noticing a rash of books like it, though. Minimal punctuation, rural setting, a tight vocabulary, most obviously the Kent Harriff book, Plain Song. It looks good. People are getting very tired. Uh, it looks good, uh, and, it, and it looks and sounds like 11, but not disastrously so. I think people are getting very tired of the asinine complexities of the age and want to just write a straightforward fucking book. I'm reading Ulysses right now. With, <laughs> <clears throat> with my book group, and it is the exact opposite of everything I believe literature ought to represent. Yet it is truly great. You can't get away from it. It's like the phone company. The phone company, if every time you made a call, you got somebody you didn't know. I'll st I don't remember that. I'll stand by that. About Ulysses? About Ulysses. Yeah, I love Ulysses. What is a phone company? <laughs> there are a lot of things I don't understand about this letter. Yeah. Looking at it now. You've changed. I think people are getting very tired of the asinine complexities of the age, 1999, and want to just write a straightforward fucking book. Uh, stand by or take back? I, maybe that's always true and always false. Was that an artful dodge? Maybe? Maybe that was just what I wanted for about six months and I just projected it onto everyone else. But Two of the books that are available on the, on the, uh, on the, the, the table outside uh, the, the theater uh, are John's most recent books, Castle and uh, Familiar, which are wonderful books. Would you say they are uh, 
related to the asinine complexities of the age or are straightforward <laughs> fucking the, I actually, I actually, after indulging in more asinine complexity after writing you that letter, I, I'm now back in a minimal mode with both of those. All right. <laughs> you seem to disagree. Oh, I, I, I don't know. I, I haven't read your recent work. <laughs> haven't you? <laughs> well, I'm not the stuff that you haven't published. Oh, all right. You know. Yeah. No, it's pretty. The, the current novel, I'm, I'm aiming for a page or two. Well, that'll, that'll be a, a, a good novel. People will like that. Um, there we go. Yeah. I thought there would be more musical jokes. Yeah. <laughs> Stop talking. Uh, when, when was the last, what's the last letter that, letter that you wrote and sent to someone? It wasn't the last email. letter. Uh, I, I probably wrote you one. And I think I wrote a, uh, I sent another friend a book uh, and was just going to put in like a little uh, greeting card. Mm -hmm. And uh, just right here's, you know, hope you like this. But I ended up folding a bunch of pages of handwritten letter in there, which I haven't done in a while. So I don't know, maybe it's time for a revival because I, I, uh, I quit Facebook. Mm -hmm. um, and our, our first guest just talked about quitting Facebook backstage, which is, th that's what they call a segue in the industry. But, um, mm -hmm. but yeah, maybe we should do this again. We should write letters again instead of talking to each other's heads on Skype. But uh, it's so much easier. <laughs> it is. And, 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 and more permanent. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Um, so I think it's time to bring out our first yeah, guest. Yeah, I think it is. Point. You want to do that? Um, Matthew Dickman, uh, one of my favorite poets, uh, took the Bolt bus up from Portland to be with us today. Um, is uh, author of two books, as Rebecca pointed out, All American Poem and Mayakovsky's Revolver, as well as, as 50 American plays that he uh, co-wrote with his, his brother Michael. Um, and I think he's in the wings somewhere, unless he left already. Here he is. Uh, please welcome Matthew Bishop. Thanks, you guys. It's great to be here. I'm glad you're talking about letters. Why is that, Matthew? Uh, I write a lot of them. Mm -hmm. I think they're wonderful. I think they're super important. These are not letters. These are poems. Um, and I'm happy to be reading in front of all 200 of you. <laughs> it's amazing. It's a huge crowd here. And it's hot out. Yeah. It's blue skies. It's beautiful. <clears throat> so I thought I'd pick out two, you know, um, upsetting poems. Okay. Alley poem. Now I get to be alone again, like I've always wanted to be, and there's nothing anyone can say about it, especially me. Especially since I've been begging for it. Isn't that what they say he was begging for it, which is awful, but especially for girls? And now I'm alone like a red fire truck, thank God, a red fire truck buried beneath the earth of stuffed animals, the air around me thick as a mouth or a bar of soap because I was asking for it, after all. And after all, sometimes I can just lose it and shake the baby I am, grab it by the shoulders and shake it into scrambled eggs with toast for a face and no afterlife for him and no TV either and no dessert since he did not do all his chores. Though punishing him by making him stay in his room will do no good since he'll like it too much. Better to drag him out into an alley where he won't know where he is and tell him to shut up and make him sweep or sing 
or get him drunk and lie him down on a bed of snow, or take off all his clothes and point my finger and laugh and tell him to jump and tell him to beg and shoot him in the head, shoot him right in the heart and say, you were asking for it, and then hold him like I do so he doesn't feel alone, not like that. It's a radio, so you can't see it, but the whole audience is smiling. Oh, yeah. It's amazing. Big smiles. Big smiles. Yeah. Big smiles. Okay, well, I just did that. That's an example of how needy I am. It's pretty good. It's pretty, pretty needy. needy. Yeah, it's pretty needy. I didn't, I didn't hear the rhymes, though. Where are the rhymes? Yeah, they're coming. Oh, okay. They're coming. In about 2020, maybe? About 2020. Okay. That's my schedule. Fucking novelist. You tell a novelist, they're like, what do you write? And you're like, poems. And they're like, oh, so what do you do? <laughs> I'm not supposed to cuss on this show, right? You can fucking cuss as much as you Good. want. Good. <laughs> Assholes. Okay. <laughs> I'll read one more poem. Sidewalk poem. My mother worked like a dog for so long, it's nice to see her be the owner. There are only really 1,210 ways to die. The five main ones being your father drinking, your father breathing, your father touching anything at all, your father listening to opera, your father looking at you and saying, I see you. Like Pope Francis, looking at a girl's knees when he was 12 and what made him love Jesus crawled out of his lunch pail right as she crossed her legs in the sign of the cross. Actually, there are only 10 ways to die, but I'm too afraid to say. I'm brave enough to walk home, though. Brave enough for the dark if there's a cross in it, a telephone pole or a weirdly shaped tree, if there's a dog being walked, if there's a dog at all. I want to take this opportunity to say that the Gettysburg Address is the money shop of any speech I've ever read aloud to my mom and dad. <laughs> Which is to say, if you are ever even a little bit afraid, just know that other people are too. It's not just you standing in the spice aisle at the grocery store asking where they keep the anus extract or if you can use vanilla instead. In years to come, when you sign all your letters with your mind only, know that someone is alone in her bed with a body sort of like the body you have and that she believes that she is dying. That she is thinking about her porous mother and scotch tape father. You go anywhere in the world, even inside your own self, and your mom and dad will be right there like two warm eggs with a little chocolate and blood inside them. I'm sorry, I was just walking home and thinking about my mom and thinking about my dad and saw one of those blue bags people use to pick up after their dog because they love that stupid dog so much even though it's not a baby and even though they can't have sex with it. Not really. Not the way you and I have sex with a ball and a stick calling each other in from the dark whispering, good boy and whispering, good girl. Thanks. I just realized that the, the college where I teach,
we've got a we've got a reading series that I sort of am the apparent head of, though I don't really do that. Uh -huh. But but I have but I realize I've I've learned how to when reading is not interesting how to how to look like I'm interested, which oh, is yeah. to make a face, a listening to a reading face. What's it look like? It looks kind of like this. That's a, that's a yeah. good one. And I, I found that I, I can do other things with my mind while I uh, while I have that face on. And I have to say, I was not making that face no. while you were reading. That's good. I was making this face. <laughs> that's a better face. That's good. That is a listening face. Yeah. It's sort of the, it's sort of the kind of face that like when somebody gets uh, like hit by a, a subway or something, and they're you know, they're really goners. Yeah. But they're kind of fine from like the navel up, and they yeah. still get to live for a little while. Yeah. Um, the kind of face that they make then, which is not a face of pain. Because right. the endorphins have gone through. Right. Um, that's awesome. Uh, that makes me want to faint. Yeah. 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 That's a good, it's a good face. It's a good face. Yeah. It's a terrible circumstance, though. Totally. Yeah. Also, with uh, poetry and some poetry readings, it seems like um, it's sort of, it can be like an Episcopalian funeral, you know? Um, which I never understood why. It's like people are there, and they're, they're there because they need to be punished in some way. So they sit there quietly and sort of miserable. Or it's like my memories of the late 80s when I finally had a friend who uh, family had enough money to have cable. Mm -hmm. And uh, I would stay up late with him. We'd watch uh, Cinemax. Mm -hmm. uh, it's the same sounds coming from Cinemax after 11 o'clock at night, which are, mm, hmm, uh, The same sounds mm. in Cinemax. Uh, poetry reading and poetry an Episcopal funeral? And Episcopal funeral. Yeah. All of them. Yeah. Three. Yeah. yeah. He lived a long life. Mmm. <laughs> ah. See, the thing about, thing about wanting to be punished at a poetry reading is you could, you could punish yourself at home by yourself, but this is, you want to be True, punished by reading with novels. others. Yeah, yeah, yeah. sure. <laughs> or, or by writing them. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's right. Even worse. Yeah. It's, it's funny to be sandwiched in between the two of you on a, on a, a program that has to do with about lunch. Because you're, you're the, you're the pastrami in this situation? Can I, can I tell my only lunch joke I know, which my twin brother Michael told me? Yeah. And I, I think he invented it, I'm not sure. Um, uh, why, is, um, why is yeast uh, so weird? <laughs> I don't know. Do you know? No. Because it's in bread. <laughs> oh. That's pretty good. Oh. Pretty good. Hey -ho. Were, you, were you guys still mm. in the womb when he told you that? Yeah, we were. <laughs> we were in there much longer than any human being should be. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, you just had a birthday. I did. Yeah, I turned 38. Yeah. Mm -hmm. How's it going so far? So far, it's pretty good. Yeah, yeah I've been 38 for about 10 days. Mm -hmm. Feels awesome. Yeah. <laughs> You could say that your, your 39th year is a mewling infant right now. It is. I wish it would shut up because I've got to sleep right now. Are you not getting enough sleep? I'm doing all right. I'm doing okay. I'm getting like, not, not great. I mean, I'm getting like eight or nine hours. Do you think people sleep better in Portland or in Seattle? Oh, definitely in Portland. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Why? Um, it's uh, less expensive to live there. Yeah. Um, you don't have to climb so many hills. Yeah. Um, you don't have that sea air keeping you up at night. Does you know? it do that? I think it does. <laughs> bad air? I think sea air keeps people up. Yeah. Yeah, all that salt. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's the salt. <laughs> I think it's the salt. Leads content. to uneasy sleep. I think it is, yeah. yeah. I think that's true. Okay. I feel like I'm on acid right now. Yeah. You are. We all, we all are, of course. Mm -hmm. um, 
so we talk about food sometimes. Yeah. Uh, you logged many hours in the food industry. When I first met you, uh, you were still working in the uh, bakery, the pantry of uh, Whole Foods down in Portland, I believe. Yeah, not really the bakery. I was at, on the Pizza Island and Sandwich Island. The Pizza Island? Yeah. Is that, is it, is that in the river? <laughs> a river, it was a, a river of business people wanting okay. lunch. All right, yeah. all right. Yeah, but I, yeah, I've worked, um, I don't know, I guess like a year and a half ago or two years ago, I was still at Whole Foods. And mm -hmm. uh, before that, all my jobs have been around, you know, food. I worked um, at a place making uh, homemade pasta for this little uh, grocery store. Um, I was a baker for uh, a few years mm -hmm. um, in Portland, Oregon at an art, art, artisanal bakery. No. Making artisanal bread. No. Yeah. With yeast. With yeast and salt. Yeah. It was great. Um, that was an amazing job, actually, because um, it's a job where you see what you're working on come to fruition like in a day. You know, a mm -hmm. lot of people's jobs, you're working on things that sort of have no end often. Mm -hmm. uh, but that was an amazing thing. You know, I could, I could show up one day, mix all this dough, put it away in buckets to rise, come back the next day, form the dough that I had made the day before, and then that night, bake it off, and then take a loaf home. It was really great. And I didn't have to pay for a gym. I mean, just working there. I mean, you can't tell by looking at me or probably listening to me right now, but like, I used to be really fit, you know? I mean, just and according, according to one woman in, in England, you still are. Yeah, that's, that's right. One deranged One deranged, one deranged yes. person recently in London was like, I saw you eating. You're really fit. You really are. You're fit. I was like, that's awesome. I'm that's fit. It was worth the whole trip. It was worth two trips. Yeah. yeah. I'm yeah. going back. Are you going back? Soon. Soon. You went twice this year. To Europe, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, you most recently went and uh, hung out in a castle in Scotland? Yeah, I did. It was, it was an amazing... I mean, I, like, these experiences, I, it's not like I have them all the time. I feel like an asshole talking about them. <laughs> a little bit. You know, especially because, right. like... Do you think I would have asked you about it? If I mean, I grew up in a shitty neighborhood. A I don't know. I feel, like, shame about it, but yeah. also happy that it's in my life, these experiences. But, yeah, I went to a castle in Scotland for a week and hung out with these lovely people, um, a lot of visual artists. And, um, and backstage was um, asked, you know, well, how did you end up at the castle? And it's true that I met a, uh, this wonderful man, Harry, this young lord, in, um, when I was in Reggio Emilia, giving an artist really? talk at um, a big fashion collection, an art collection. And, oh, uh, no, you're not an asshole. <laughs> no, no, right, not an asshole at all. Oh. So anyway, yeah. <laughs> lunch, right, guys? <laughs> but it was great. What do you eat midday in a castle? Mm. So, uh, you don't even need to eat. Just, just sort of... The old stones provide sustenance, sustenance through it does. Uh, yeah. pores? Uh, well, through martinis. I mean, every afternoon, <laughs> um, there was a person, I mean, the castle's staffed, and, um, you know, not an asshole, but I'm just saying, there are people who work there. You did use staff and, as a verb. Yeah, what do they, uh, what yeah, do they wear? Good. What are the they, staff they, wear? <laughs> oh, God. Um, they make cocktails for you. Can we talk about something else? <laughs> oh, no, this oh. is very interesting. <laughs> do they wear tuxedos? I was just... Uh, my, well, they were like I, uh, I, dirty windbreakers <laughs> in Bud Light shorts. No, 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 no. Uh -uh. More tuxedo um, then. Just last night, my, my identical twin brother, uh, the poet Michael Dickman, came to Portland, Oregon uh, with his family. And he and I were talking last night, and I was asking him about the flight. 
And the, he and his wife, Phoebe, were traveling with their um, little boy, who's only a few months old, uh, young August. And um, Michael was talking about how upset he was with um, one of the um, uh, people on the, the plane who was like walking by with the waters and asking, you know, if you needed anything. And he was trying to get August to sleep, and the person knelt down and said, do you, know, do you need anything? And Michael sort of motioned no with his head. And then she said, I'm sorry, sir, I can't hear you. <laughs> and Michael was like, no. <laughs> yeah. And he said, God, I was so pissed. I just wanted to yell at that, at that, you know, like, you know, the waiter, the waitress, I don't, you know, the waitstaff. <laughs> I was like, the waitstaff. I like yeah. that. And then he said, I was on that air, I was on that restaurant for four hours. <laughs> yeah. right. See? Now who's the asshole? That's right. <laughs> right. Which one of you two? Someone who's exactly like you. Yeah. 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 Well, it's fun to be part of the ruling class, isn't it? <laughs> However brief. Um, I love hard work. I can watch it be done all day long. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let me say that the, I don't think it's the, the, there's a connection between the fact that you're you know, one, one, of my, one of the best, I think, living American poets, um, and that you've managed to kind of make a living in unusual ways. You sort of preserved your independence uh, without throwing kind of the whole, you know, everything to the side. I mean, you, you, know, you went to college, you have an MFA. You I did. I, I, my undergrad books. was an esteemed seven years long. And That's right. Yeah. yeah. But you've managed to be, you know, independent. Mm -hmm. And your, your work is independent, and, and there's those are connected and and uh, wish, wish more people had your courage and bravery oh well, thank you to, um, to do that I, I wish I had those people's uh, insurance that wouldn't it be nice <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah well uh, don't those people you. also own homes and right. um, yeah. you know have spouses yeah <laughs> Sorry. well it's been great having Matthew Dickman here today <laughs> don't stub your toe on the way right. back right. we'll have to pay for that thanks for that thank, thank you, you guys thank you You want to play a song? Let's play a song. All right. Since um, I'm a, I'm a writer first and a musician second, I thought I thought I had to write a song about New York Times book reviewer Michiko Kakatani. So this is um, this is that song. You're a famous book reviewer for the Times Where for 30 years you have unvaried literary tomes opined You've left many a novelist all twisted up in recent minute fright Although in your defense the better part are male and middle-aged and white Which is not to say I choose one of your reviews As a sample of measured journalistic prose In fact I propose there's a certain je ne sais quoi to your schadenfreude Oh, Michiko Kakatani, were you put on earth to drive writers insane? Norman Miller calls you failure, friends is crying out in mortal pain. What did you do to Don Tillero? See him crying 
wicked Lori Moore, she's now pounding her head on the floor again. Which is not the saving mind that you happen to find. Our life's work acting in any way, but the way you say so seems to indicate a certain pleasure in our suffering. Oh, Machiko, you were born in 1955 to parents smart and hale. Your father professed math and cleared a path for you to study with at Yale. But between your upbringing and your stinging criticism stint, we ask, did something that occurred to make you violently take our work to task? Everything we do apart Oh, Machiko Uh, one of my favorite poets. It was a, it was a, a lot of fun to, to uh, just to be able to bring uh, the, the Seattle poet Sarah Galvin to a few uh, few new listeners. Uh, although younger than um, than than most people uh, uh, I know, uh, she writes uh, with uh, when I, when you hear her work is hilarious. But there's also behind it, I think, a lot of intelligence and soulfulness that are beyond her, 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 her years, uh, which you may not uh, perceive, because uh, she also brought us these delicious treats that we'll be talking about with her. But first, uh, some poems from Sarah Galvin. Please welcome her. Hello. Thank you. These are never low enough for me. <laughs> so this first poem is a poem that you can read on the Monarch Review, and it's called Jump on Stage with a Blast from the Orchestra. I'm having a bad night and don't want to talk to anyone, was my response when I got a G-chat message from an address I didn't recognize. Then the video chat box opened, and there was a naked woman eating pistachio ice cream. The night was bad because I'd gone to a park where my first girlfriend took me once, and I noticed all the hedges were shaped like hearts. I'd always thought she took me there so no one would see us. To have known the shapes of those stupid hedges would have changed everything. I want you to watch me eat this whole thing while you fuck yourself, said the woman on the screen. <laughs> she was eating ice cream with one hand while the other moved steadily between her thighs. She was about halfway through the ice cream when I came, and the video box disappeared abruptly. Staring at the space where she'd been, my pants around my knees, I remembered how my grandpa used to tell me to jump on stage with a blast from the orchestra. I always thought he meant look for the silver lining, 
but knew better than to use words like look or for or silver lining. <laughs> and that's the poem. This one's called Obad, and you can read it on Aya. I'll live in any structure available. I'll shove my sleeping bag into a newspaper box and drag the box into a parking garage so I can live in both at once. I refuse to interact with a structure any other way. When I tried just fucking somewhere, it was like a sad country song. When I tried just eating somewhere, it was like a sad country song about breakfast. The songs were barely audible and seemed to come from nowhere. The only way I could endure them is if I imagined everyone who'd ever lived in those places was with me. I've gotten good at living in things, but I like it best when all the things go away. Like the morning we woke up on a cement floor where neither of us lived, on a street white with frost that disappeared in a white cloud. Everything was gone but us sad country singers and somewhere an audience cheered and cheered. So um, this is the first time I've met Sarah, but she has a certain notoriety for me because Ed uh, brought to my attention her blog, which is, is it pronounced the pedestri pedestrian? The pedestrian. And, uh, and the pedestrian is why we asked uh, Sarah to go gather some festival food, which we're going to sample in a, in a moment and talk about. But uh, maybe you could explain what this blog is first. Well, it's a blog on which I review food that's found on the ground. <laughs> Sometimes I find the food, and sometimes other people send me pictures and descriptions, usually supplying less information than I need, and then I ask them about the circumstances under which the food was found and write about that. This, and you always helpfully, helpfully provide the precise intersection where the film, uh, in Seattle where the food was found. I do provide an address, um, although <laughs> one, one um, guy emailed me from Brooklyn to tell me that uh, the blog had inspired him to eat um, a piece of what he thought was marble cake. No, he thought it was rye bread with, um, with cheese on it, and it was sitting on a corduroy jacket on a street in Brooklyn. And he said, I never would have considered doing such a thing, but your blog has changed my world. <laughs> so he took a big bite of it, and it turned out that it, was, it actually was uh, cake with pepper jack. <laughs> Which probably why was why that I uh, hadn't been finished. <laughs> but why was the jacket abandoned? That's the question. The jacket, he said, seemed in good condition. It's a good question. <laughs> we, we writers aren't here to answer questions. We're right. here to raise them. There's a lot of mystery in, in all of these. You can't answer all the questions. You can only speculate. Yeah. I think. It, it's possible that the experience of, of biting into this mysterious piece of food was, was so alarming that the owner of the jacket rapidly <laughs> discarded his clothing. <laughs> well, that's, that's my a, theory. I, I think that's a good theory. He had to divest him or herself of, of everything he or she was wearing during the consumption of the vile cake. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So shall we, shall we try these treats? What, what, what do we have? You, you remember the names of them. I don't. Me neither. Well, over here we've got some um, dumplings are potato dumplings, which I believe are potato, and I think that actually is a piece of rye bread right there. Yeah. 
There's some sour cream. Is there a quarter jacket we can? <laughs> no, sour cream and dumplings. Shall I try one of these? Yes. And meanwhile, say what the other things are there. Uh, and that's the traditional elephant ear with. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll sweep it up. It's. it's it did that to me too. <laughs> with. Uh, so is, sugar just a, and is it just a flat right, funnel, good, cake, funnel cake? Is I it? believe it's a sweet fried bread. It is like a funnel cake. I've gotten a little cold. <laughs> yeah, um, let me try the funnel cake. The charm of fried things wears off. These people fucking paid money. I disagree. <laughs> it's my understanding that everyone, all, all Bumbershoot performers are going to be eating on stage. Well, oh, yeah. sort of like giant unconsecrated Eucharist. And what's, what's, this, <laughs> what's, this, what's this phallus called? Oh, that's the... Um, that's a shishka berry. That particular one is called the um, fairy dingle. The fairy dangle? Dingle. Dingle? It's pretty good. Yeah, try a dumpling. John's trying to get the pedal steel player to eat food with his hands. When I was growing up, I was the one who was always um, feeding the lap steel player under the table. Let's try this. Just, did you say that the word dingle ha that was... Oh, God. There's, there's no non-PG-13 um, uh, rated way to eat this. Mm. Pretty, mm. It's pretty good. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. the best. What do you think is the best, Sarah? So far, I think I like the dumpling the best. Dumplings are excellent. So the, the sour cream is very stiff. It's like a... More like a blancmange. It's kind of... It's kind of fluffy. Blancmange? No. Where? I haven't tried the elephant ear yet. Oh, actually, this is my first elephant ear of all time. The best thing when I was carrying that, um, there's a big piece of um, whipped cream that fell onto the sidewalk immediately. And ah. I realized I had to put it in a cup. Oh, well. I thought you were just trying to generate more content for the pedestrian. Yeah, <laughs> you're cheating. I considered it. Yeah. And then when I was looking at that, I saw a piece of julienne carrot, but it had been stepped on, so I can't review it. <laughs> <laughs> well, so let me ask you. You, um, you, have, an you, you have an ethical perspective on yeah. Oh, no, I just so, didn't want to put that in my mouth. So you, you are eating. You're eating the things you find. Oh, yeah. So as... <laughs> uh, <coughs> Are the things that you have, um, get, what are some of the other things you've rejected? Rejected? Yeah. Well, of course, um, there was a, somebody put a pork chop in a mailbox. <laughs> and I couldn't, I couldn't get it, and also it was probably rancid. Uh, there was an inflatable turkey, which obviously I can't digest. <laughs> you can digest air. That's true. Yeah. I tried to inflate the turkey, but it was broken, and I almost passed out. So I wrote about that a little bit. What else couldn't I eat? Oh, meat things, anything with meat. Um, You're a vegetarian? I am. You're a vegetarian? Yes, although um, my main concern with the uh, pedestrian and meat is, of course, botulism. Eh, valid. Fair. That's a valid fear. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Although it's, you know, this, 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 these are hair-splitting differences, really, that you would, you would be welcome to eat something on the ground as long as it doesn't have a boot print on it. I just didn't, I hadn't seen the boot. Oh, all right, all right. Fair You're familiar with the corner, and you know it's clean. Yes. But the boot could, could be anyone's. Could have been anyone's boot. Yep. I 
could have been a meat boot. <laughs> the title of this episode. Yeah, right. definitely. Yeah. Uh, is, has the time come to ask um, Sarah to tell jokes? Well, I want to preface it by saying that I, I really do admire your, your poetry. And I think you're really, really fantastic. And there's a lot of really fantastic poetry ahead. But you're also one of the funniest people I've ever met. And you always have some jokes that make me blush and cry a little bit. So I was wondering if you'd heard any good jokes lately. Well, of course, I have to tell the one that we were talking about backstage, which is the one that I'm the only one qualified to tell oh, here. Dear. Oh, dear. Which is, uh, really? why do lesbians make terrible boxers? Because I think this is a fist. <laughs> I'm not going to try to describe that for the listener. No. Um, but the antecedent of the, the, this, yeah. the, there is no antecedent for it except for the, yeah. uh, the gesture, which is you just uh, asked if I'd non, a, non-traditional boxing. If I'd heard any good boxing jokes, then I, I had to yeah. think about that for a second. Well, you know, and our listeners who, who know what she's talking about will be able to picture that, that gesture quite well. Maybe they will. Maybe they won't. I don't know. <laughs> the best joke that I've heard recently amazes me because it's a joke that manages to be so funny without being dirty or morbid at all. So, a priest and a nun are out driving around on the countryside and a vampire runs in front of the car. And the priest says, quick, Mary, get out and show him your cross. So she runs out and says, I'm so angry at you right now. So, so I thought this was my favorite joke, but so are you guys familiar with the joke about the talking muffins? You know that one? So, so two muffins are in an oven. One muffin says, gee, sure is getting hot in here. And the other muffin says, whoa, shit, a talking muffin. <laughs> so so I, I told my girlfriend the joke about the, the priest and the nun, and she thought it was hilarious. So of course, like this, drunk girl came up to her at a party and asked her to tell her a joke and she told the joke about the you know the nun and the priest and the lady goes that's the stupidest shit I ever heard I'm gonna tell you a joke that's gonna make you laugh so hard alright so two muffins are in an oven <laughs> oh, talking muffin and then she just walked away <laughs> so you didn't feel threatened by this other woman oh no I mean, if you can't remember the setup of the talking muffin joke, there's no threat, really, yeah. from anybody. <laughs> Any other yeah, jokes? That reminds me of the, the, the Andy Greer joke. That there's a, there's a ca- whole category of joke that suddenly the joke st- steps out of itself and looks. It has an out of body experience, and then it looks at itself in a way that su- surprises. Like the Andy Greer joke that's very long, so I won't tell it. But that ends the punchline of the joke is, "Get a job? I'm a fucking raisin." Right. You, could, you could fill in your own story in front of that, I think. Or the joke, uh, the joke that I told at a reading once when someone spontaneously asked me to tell a joke, and this is what came out of my mouth. And I'd never, it was the only time I've, well, the only time I knowingly had the experience of like 150 people hating me for a, ver- for a very brief time, which is, uh, the joke is, uh, uh, what do you call a black guy flying a plane? And then dead silence. And then it's a pilot, you fucking racist. <laughs> right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I heard that one before. <laughs> it's in your repertoire. 
So you, you rely on you rely on, on, on <clears throat> this kind of humor in your poems, but but there's a difference between poems and jokes. And one, I mean, jokes are better. <laughs> oh I'm yeah. Not, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not I'm not saying I'm not bringing it up to to denigrate jokes at all. But uh, uh, what what's the difference between a joke joke and a poem? Well, my one of my mentors, Cody Walker, who wrote about dark humor, um, had these this comparison. You know, when he talks about jokes, he always says, well. The jokes that stay with you the most are the most like poems. So, the joke, the uh, example that he usually gives is, um, so there. What, what did the what did the zero say to the eight? Nice belt, right? <laughs> and then, and then he he mentioned uh, this bit from a Milan Kundera novel where um, there's a guy walking through a, a park and sees this other guy puking in a trash can. And he walks up to him, puts his hand on his shoulder, and he says, I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> Pretty good. Well, that's funny, but you got to think about it, you know? Yeah. I would say that um, it's hard to say exactly what it is that makes you return to something, but you know it when you feel it. And a poem always has that. I mean, I've even heard people say that a poem is like a joke that isn't funny. Although, in my opinion, a poem should be funny. Often. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I think the poems that both you and Matthew were reading, they had embedded within them the kind of the kind of building of small tensions and releases that are common to jokes, right? But then each of you is sort of extending this, you know, outside its original parameters and turning it into something else, repurposing it, if you will. Well, I suspect that. Uh, I mean, the common structure of a joke is the introduction, and then the setup, and then the the punchline. And poems often have a similar structure where there's the introduction and then there's a setup and then there's like some sort of release of tension that's sort of like a punchline. And I think that as the, the more complex that structure becomes, the more it's like a poem or like a really good joke. Mm -hmm. But I almost think that there's a certain amount of complexity that a joke can't withstand and still be funny and that's when it becomes a poem. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. That's good. Uh, so you, you're, you're about you're going to graduate this year. This is your second year. Is that the last year of the MFA program at the University of Washington? I have one more year, yeah. yeah what are you going to do then? Oh, uh, well. Uh, That's the old manist question I've ever heard. <laughs> what are you going to do after graduation? Plastics. Oops. It's all about plastics. Plastics. Very good. Well, good <laughs> luck in that career. Thank you very much. Yeah. <laughs> Sarah Galvin. Yeah. Thank you, Sarah. Taking the dumplings. So, uh, Ed, you, you and uh, Slim want to uh, sing us out of here with a tune or two? All right, I suppose, suppose so. Yeah. All right. Why don't you do that? Ed Scoot. Abilene Slim. I'll give you all some space. Thank you. We appreciate that. What's the moth joke? What's the moth joke, Eric? You, you, you say it to me and I'll say it to the microphone. I just remember it was about a moth. <laughs> That's a good joke. I'm uh, more protective about, about my literary career, so this is not a song about a, a book reviewer. 
I'll be destroyed by the powerful print journalism industry as a result of that. <laughs> right. Yeah, I was, he was wondering, well, should I, should I sing this song about uh, someone who might review my book in a newspaper? I, the question kind of defeats itself. Thank Rebecca Hoogs for inviting us to uh, uh, to come be part of uh, Bumbershoot Words and Ideas in Seattle Arts and Lectures. I thank Matthew Dickman and Sarah Galvin for coming, and from my old friend uh, Eric Henry, Abilene Slim for coming up from Corvallis to play the electric table for us.
And as this is our first anniversary of doing this Lunchbox podcast, thank you, John, for doing it with me. I'm really enjoying it. Thank you, Ed. Want to sing the outro? Let's do it. All right. Are you hungry for lunch? Thank you all very much.